I just want to pray and see what happens. Here we go. I believe. Help my unbelief. I see your power, Father, and I doubt it. I want desperately to give my whole heart over to you, and yet I hold back. And I'm not any different than anybody else in this room. We love you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. We invite you, Jesus, to change us and to speak to us and to deal with us as only you can. Holy Spirit, would you do what you do? In Christ's name we pray, amen. One morning, my dad was making pancakes, and my brother and I, my brother's about, uh, I guess, 21 months older than I am, and he, you probably need to know for this story that he was an all-state linebacker, and I looked like this. So the fights in my house never went well for me, and so my dad's making pancakes, and at, at some point, he realizes that there's just one pancake left. That's it. It's over. And so my dad, being the kind and gentle teaching spirit, he walks over and gives us the 30-second gospel message and talks about Jesus, and in the end, he asks us this basic, simple question. Well, what do you guys think? Who wants to be like Jesus? My brother launches towards my father, grabs the pancake, sticks it in his mouth, and says, Carl does. Here's the problem with that story. It didn't happen that way. Like, if you know my family, if my dad happens to be watching this right now, or you know this is a lie from the very first sentence, because did you hear how it started? My dad was cooking pancakes. My mom spoiled him rotten. That guy doesn't know how to make a sandwich, much less a pancake. So anybody that knows the Wade family would go, there's something, there's something. And my dad would tell that story in a Bible class. I was like, Dad, you're a liar. He's like, well, Kyle, I don't know. No. Now, were pieces of that story true? Did, did Kirk and I sit at the, the spots he talked about? Were pancakes served? Did my brother beat me up? Absolutely. Did he always win? Yes. But was the story true? No. Is it a good story? Yes. Do I enjoy telling it? Yes. But does that make it true? You need to understand if you don't. And I'm really struggling this morning because I don't know who I'm talking to. And that's hard. Am I talking to followers of Jesus that are convinced of the resurrection? Am I talking to people that we've called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, over the last few weeks that have decided they're not sure and they don't really care? Am I talking to atheists? I don't, I don't know. But I'm sitting here going, this is how many people in our world see the Bible. That story. Do you, do you, hear, do you hear what I'm saying? This picture of these are fables, and there was a guy. Most people don't, don't have a problem with the, the reality that a man named Jesus did live in the first century, and he was Jewish. There's not many people that are going to make an argument against that. But what they're saying is that he was a good teacher, and there were these stories told, and along the way, 
They began to be embellished and Kyle ate the pancakes. Jesus did that. There's this miracle, and, and it became popular in our culture, and it was embedded into our culture's brain when the Da Vinci Code came out. You know what I'm talking about? There's a book. Dan Brown wrote it. It was a fictional book, but we took it, our culture took it as fact. That the church leaders really, what they were really after was power. What they were really wanting to do, and so... As the years by, went by and the decades and the centuries, by the time the oral tradition and the stories were finally told, that is not what Jesus said. That's not what happened. And we're left with this book that us dumb Christians go, uh, you know, we're, we're supposed to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe these stories? God became a person... Are, are we really that dumb? Are, are you people that sit in those... Are you really that ignorant? This crucifixion thing, are you trying to tell me that you honestly believe? Now, here's the deal. In this room, there are people that have believed it all their lives and will 100% give their life for that reality. And there are others of us who've had questions. We don't like that on our whiteboard that we talked about a couple. We, we don't want to talk about that. And our friends will say things like, you guys are so outdated. You're so fragile. You're so silly. You're so in, it, what you're saying is so indefensible. I had somebody say, Kyle, I was really hoping you would talk. I heard what you're going to talk about this week, and I was really hoping you'd talk about, you know, science and Christianity or the indiscrepancies in the Bible and how we can know something or, or the, the Christian sex ethic and the problems that it creates in our current cult. I was hoping you would do that. Here's the problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. I want to talk to a group of people that have questions, but this is the question. Because if we, if we say, I don't really think he did it, then what Paul is telling us that our faith is a bunch of, of stuff where we sit here and sing some songs and be nice and be kind, and that's not working. Tim Keller was, was asked this question at one point. A guy was at his church, and he was asking these, you know, so if I believe in Jesus, does that mean I can't uh, have relations? Sorry, I know there are kids. Have relations with my girlfriend. And what he said, he, in, in return, he goes, are you saying that because you aren't fired up about the Christian sex ethic that Jesus couldn't have raised from the dead? And he goes, uh, no. Uh, and here's what Keller said, because if he didn't raise from the dead, who cares? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, why should I care about any of the morals that the church has always talked about. Why should I care if Jonah was an actual person in a well? Or if, and you just tell me all of your problems with the Bible, why would I care if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? Because it is useless. This is the question. And so today I would like to make a case for the physical resurrection of Jesus. 
But I'm going to ask one thing from you. John 6.44 says, No one comes to the Father unless he who sent me draws them. So Jesus is talking here, and basically what he's saying is, faith itself is a gift. God has to bring me. Here's my one request. Please don't use anything that's said here as a weapon. Please don't do anything to your friends. Don't force them to watch the boring bald guy. Don't say, see, I told you, here's, here's proof. You can't prove it one way or the other. You need, we know that, right? Please don't weaponize this sermon. That's all I ask. So Luke 24, let's read the account. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood behind them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, and the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Do you believe this actually happened? Because because this is the whole ball game. Do you believe these four accounts in the Gospels? Do you believe it actually happened? You have three choices. One is absolutely 100% yes. Yes, I do. But you know that's a huge leap, right? It's a huge leap for those of us that say we're followers of Jesus to go. There was this Jewish carpenter, and he became God, and he lived for these years over there in Palestine, and he died, and he rose again. Do you see the intellectual leap? We should not look at people who do not believe and have scorn for them or, or disdain for them. You guys should... You see the leap we're making. It's huge and it's enormous and wow. But the second is, I've been sitting here all my life and I've heard this story a million times and Easter comes and it goes and the the answer is, I don't. And that one on the whiteboard is petrifying to us. I just don't think it's possible. I don't see it's possible. I need that group in here and watching online to go, do you understand that's a huge leap as well? Do you see the leap? Skeptics believe that living matter came from non-living matter, but they don't believe in miracles. 
They believe consciousness and the ability for you to listen and engage and think that consciousness, non-living, sprang from non-consciousness. It's a huge leap to think that all we see just out of the blue happened. And I wish they would see how big of a leap they're making, just like I think ours is pretty big. And the third one. I don't know. And here's what I would say to the group that's in the room that's in the I don't know category. You have chosen not to make a leap. You have gone to church and you've listened to stories and you've lived and you've thought about Jesus about this much and you've said, I don't know, but it's the core teaching of Christianity. So if you haven't decided and both of them make the leap, I get it. But if you hadn't made it, it's because you've chosen not to think about it because it's too difficult. Hmm. So how do I start a conversation in a room knowing that the Bible is discounted for many? Not necessarily in this room, but for this argument, the Bible isn't part of it. Now, we know this statement, right? If you grew up in the church, in these churches, in our churches, here's the phrase, if the Bible says it, Oh, come on, we can do better than that. This is the phrase, and if you, didn't, if you didn't grow up in our churches, you don't know this maybe. But those of you that did, you know this statement. If the Bible says it, I guess y'all don't know it the way I do. That settles it. It's, it's the end of the argument. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And so that's how I grew up. And I would have a question, and my mom would say, that if the Bible says it, that settles it. And I'm like, Thanks. Uh, and I can see my friend, one of my friends sitting there going, Kyle, if you start this conversation with the Bible, I'm out. Okay. But think about this statement, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm treading on thin ice, so stay with me. I want you to hear the deeply Im- embedded implication in the idea of the Bible says it, that settles it. The idea is the Bible is the reason we believe. And if you're saying yes to that, I, I, want, I want you to hold on. Because in that, if that's true, if the only reason we believe, if Christianity came about and the Bible exists, again, I'm going to get ugly emails. Here we go. Christianity existed 300 years before the Bible ever existed. Andy Stanley says it this way. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. He, he said it's like saying that, how, how did he, I don't remember how he worded it, but it was like, that's crazy. It's like saying my birth certificate exists because, no, no, no. The birth certificate is, it's a witness to an event. It's something that the Bible came to be because of what happened in the first three centuries before the Bible ever existed. So, if, I, if, I, if I'm not going to start with Scripture, 
So if you don't want me to talk about Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and him knowing the truth and being killed for it. If you don't want me to start in Acts chapter 12 where James, one of the apostles, is cut down by the sword because of what he believes, not what he heard, but what they saw, hmm, then I want to ask this question and I just want to intellectually, I just want to be honest. How do you account for the existence of the church without the bodily resurrection of Jesus? Now, you're thinking this kind of church. How do you account for the explosive growth of the church without the resurrection? How do you account for believers giving up their lives, thousands upon thousands, How do you account for the, seven million is a word that was given at one point in the third century. How do you account for that? Well, it's a hoax. You've heard the name Nero, right? The emperor Nero. And in 64 AD, Rome was burned and most believe Nero was the one that did it. But to turn the hatred away from himself, Nero accused the Christians of having set the fire. The accusation certainly was not true, but large numbers of Christians were arrested and a terrible persecution followed. Many Christians were crucified. Some were sewn into the skins of wild beasts. Then wild dogs were let loose upon them and they were torn to pieces. Women were tied to mad bulls and dragged to death. After nightfall, Christians were burned at the stake in Nero's garden. The Roman people who hated the Christians were free to come into the garden and Nero drove around in his chariots enjoying the horrible spectacle to the full. Skeptical people say that's so dumb to think about. But how do you account for the birth of a movement that changed an empire without the physical resurrection of Jesus? Well, they stole the body, Kyle. You're going to die for that? Most believe Peter and Paul were killed during this time, AD 60s, 60 to 70. Most of the apostles lost their life. Hundreds and thousands of Christian martyrs. Well, they stole the body. Okay, okay, okay. Let's continue. I just want to keep thinking. This is a rational argument. I'm not talking about faith here. They lost every bit of their Jewish culture and heritage. You realize that, right? So everything that they knew, everything they understood when they chose Jesus was taken away from them. For a hoax? The Roman culture hated them. Their very life was an affront to them. Because they took the words of Jesus seriously, they couldn't be a part of much of what happened in the culture. And all it took was for them to say the name Christian. If they said yes, they were accused of atheism. Think about this. 
They were accused of atheism because they didn't believe in the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. They were accused of cannibalism because in the secret they heard phrases like eat their flesh and drink his blood. They were accused of incest because they called each other brothers and sisters. Hmm. Who chooses this? Yeah, but, but they wanted to believe it. They were, they, were, they were ridiculous and very primitive people. They wanted to believe this to be true. Jewish idea of resurrection. We've read this. You remember this. Sadducees didn't believe in any form of resurrection, right? The Pharisees and probably many of the common people, Jewish people, believed in a resurrection at the end of time that where this thing would be, all things would be made right. No Jew would have expected a person to be God. It would have been... It's blasphemy. Look at how Jesus, anytime he says anything outside of Jewish thought, how he was ripped for it. No one would have expected a person to be God. No one would have expected a resurrection in the middle of history. How do you explain this? Tim Keller uses this imagery. He says, what if a a modern day atheist skeptic could go back in time and talk to Peter and say something like this. Hey, Peter, before you get this whole thing started, let, let me, let me, let's talk for a second. You know there's no way that the earth is only 6,000 years old, right? That that's what your people 2,000 years, you know that can't be right, don't you? You know that there's really no evidence. There's no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood. It didn't happen. You know, and he begins just to make this, and Peter's sitting there, and Keller, his response was, and Peter would look at him and go, I don't know what you're talking about. My friend died. And then he wasn't there. And then we ate fish together. The first 300 years of Christianity, the debate centered around an event, not a book. It's centered around a truth that they gave everything for. Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible, but because of a person. But I do want to make a brief appeal for the reliability of the Gospels. And this is something I wish I would have known years and years ago. And so for those that, that you're ready to discount all of Scripture because of your doubts, what do you think about these? Number one, the, gospel, the Gospels were written as history, not a fable. Luke chapter 1, verse 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among you just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account. Does this sound like he's trying to say, once upon a time in a land far away? Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and all the... Does this sound 
He's going, fact check me. This isn't a once upon a time in a land far, far. The gospels are written as history. First Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one who was abnormally born. Do you see the list? Do you see the list of people? They're saying, fact check me. These people are still alive. He's not trying to make up some story and go, and maybe we can get this thing rolling. 500 people at the same time. It's been said, well, they, it was a hallucination. They had a hallucination. Do, do, do groups have hallucinations? Again, this is, this is it's kind of bookish and a little boring. But I just want to make a fair argument. Do, is what the skeptical folks believe, is it true? And what Paul is saying, these people are still alive, just go talk to them. Yeah, but, but those were all the followers. And so I, they, they're in on the conspiracy, okay? Have you ever been reading in the Gospels and you come across a name that you, you don't know and you don't know why it's there and it's not seen before and it's not seen again? So when a current writer is writing history, at the bottom of every page or at the back of the book, we call them footnotes, right? Fact check me. This is where I got this information. You can go look it up. Here's the page number. Here's everything. Well, obviously, that's not in Scripture, but there are ancient footnotes. Do you remember this guy? Are these two guys? Mark 15, 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from... You remember Simon of Cyrene. We all remember his name. He carried the cross. Why in the world would you put Alexander and Rufus's name in the middle of this story? They never show up again. This is a footnote. It's, they're still alive. Go ask them. This is written as history. John chapter 18. Do you remember Malchus? Do you remember when Peter drew his sword, cut off the ear? Who's Malchus? Nobody knows, but he's still alive. Go talk to him. I dare you. Mark chapter 10. We know this guy's name, but did you know in the other three gods? He's not named, but his name is Bartimaeus. He's alive. Go talk to him. Luke chapter 24. On the road to Emmaus. Do you remember? It's one of my favorite stories about a group of people that didn't get what Jesus was coming for. And one of those two guys had a name. His name was, why not name both of them? He's saying, these guys are still alive. Go talk to them. The Gospels were written as history. Okay, I know what you're saying, but, but they were written too long after all. Number two, the Gospels were written too early to create a legend. 
again, some of this gets really academic, and I'm trying not to. Paul's letters were probably most likely 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. The Gospels, 30 to 60, and some scholars want to push it out to maybe even 75 to even 85, and even some even 95 and further. If I want to tell a story, if I want to be a star, back in the day when I went to Dallas Christian High School and I played these sports and this happened, in the middle of this, a UFO showed up. How could I get rid, how could I get by with saying something that ridiculous? Everybody that was at Dallas Christian would have to be dead. These accounts were written way too early. They're saying, go talk to these people. They're still alive. And lastly, the Gospels are just too counterproductive to be legends. Let me skim through this. If you're going to write a hoax... Doesn't it make sense that all the leaders would be awesome? How come they're morons? Simple. If you're going to write something that's trying to perpetrate a fraud, the leaders are going to be people that you want to look up to, and they write them as morons. The only logical explanation is that's what they did. In all four of the Gospels, the... uh, the first people at the tomb were what? They were women. Now, I don't want to be insensitive in our current culture, but in that time, in both Jewish and Roman culture, women's testimony was not accepted. It was seen as not reliable. So why, in all four counts, would you put the women as the very first people who saw the empty tomb into the... Why would you do it? Why not make up some awesome... And the only, if you got a better explanation, I would love to hear it. But the only explanation is that's the way it happened and they weren't allowed to change it. Oh, they just kept adding it. Why wouldn't you change these things? <laughs> People dying for a hoax. Christianity interrupted an empire. In 312, Constantine became emperor of Rome. And we know the story. He adopted Christianity as the Roman religion. But most scholars don't think it's because he was a Christian. It's because he was looking for something to unify the empire that most people already believed. So from 33 to 312 to 320, depending on the scholar... This faith in the risen Lord overcame the Roman Empire. <laughs> now, did I prove anything? Nope. You, you cannot prove this to be true. You can't. And you cannot prove it to be untrue. <laughs> but I just want us to actually be honest How do you account for this? How do you account for what happened if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? We began this series looking at these numbers. 
what I call a slow fade of Christianity. And remember, I said that's, that's true in America. That is not true in China. That's not true in Africa. It's not true in the Mediterranean. Our faith is blowing up and doing miraculous things, by the way. But here, this, this is, these are our numbers. That 40% of our millennials have said, you know, I'm not real interested. Don't think I care. These nuns are unaffiliated and disconnected and don't know and don't care. You see it. As we close this, I, I have a theory of why. I'm not saying I'm right. not saying it's good or best or anything. I, I have a theory. Has anybody noticed my box? I'm wondering why it was sitting there. In fact, my friend Jared, I put it up here early this morning, and he comes walking in the office about 8.30 with it. I go, go put it back. This morning, I want to present uh, two pictures of Christianity. Here's one. I think we live as if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen. I think most Christians live as if we don't believe the Spirit has healed us. I think many Christians believe as if the gospel hasn't absolutely overwhelmed. I just believe that's true. And here's a picture of the church. What is this? It's a dusty box. Stuck in a closet. Not much to look at. You don't notice it when you open the closet or it's up in the attic. And when you think about it, it's somewhere, but you're not really sure where. And, and it's, this is the way many believers see the church. And it's the reason I believe many nuns are leaving. Because if this is what the church is, just something you go do and you sit. And your greatest hope is that we have nice lives and kind lives and gentle lives. And our team wins and we're comfortable and things are good for me and my kids don't have to struggle. If that's the church, I'm not interested in it either. It's just a box. It's just a place to come. But the picture that Peter is given when it says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you see the picture? The gates of hell. What are gates for? Protection. Who's being protected? Hell is, because the picture of the church is us charging in to fight darkness. It's not being comfortable. It's not being nice. It's not being kind. What if? And I'm talking to those who are thinking about being done with church, being done with God, being done Picture what biblical Christianity is for a second with me. The resurrection of Jesus says this. When Jesus looks at me, this is Colossians 3. When Jesus looks at me, or God looks at me, what does he see? Brent, what does he see? He sees Jesus. But Kyle, I know you're, not, you're right. 
That is what I am. I am completely loved and saved and forgiven. Therefore, I don't need approval from you. I don't need it from the game that we lost or won. I don't need it because my wife or this happened or that. I am loved and saved and forgiven, period. This is who I am in Christ. I am fully known and fully loved. Number two, I have a story to join and a job to do. If you're bored, guys, it's because all we do is think about ourselves and what's not right and not good. And if I could only be seen this way, you are already that. Pick up your sword. There are people dying all around you. I'm leaving too if it's just this box. You have a story to join and a job to do at your work and at your school and in your home. Pick up a sword. And lastly, I have a place to belong. This is my team. Because when the suffering comes and when the hardship comes and the pain comes and, and I feel like putting this down, It's never not happened where one of you hasn't come and fought for me. Thank you. Well, Kyle, that doesn't answer the question I had about how come there are two angels in the tomb at two of the stories and only one. How do you deal with those? One at a time. This one is the one that matters. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? If you do, You cannot be a casual Christian. I guess you can. We began a series on doubt. But I never wanted to talk about doubt. What I wanted to talk about was the church. What I wanted to talk about was the gospel. What I wanted to talk about was when we live into the story of God, we are exhausted. We don't have time for all that other stuff. I asked to do this for the conversation that will follow. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like preaching. I like the coffee shop. I like Matt King coming to my office on Wednesday and, and having a two-hour conversation about Jesus. Because I want to pick up a sword and I want to fight for people. Or we can just sit in our pews. Let me pray for us. I'll leave you alone. Father, as, as our leadership walks around this room, I pray that our body would know they are surrounded by love and grace and mercy. That we want to walk with this family. Because there's work to do. There's darkness to fight. There are gates to charge. And in the name of Jesus, would you help us see you and your ways and your purposes in a new way? You changed an empire in the first and second and third centuries. What will you do in Amarillo, Texas in the 21st? We love you and offer you our hearts and our lives and our minds and our doubts and our fears and our unbelief, all of it. Is it yours? It's at the feet of a risen Savior 
who has said, you are loved and saved and forgiven. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you need anything, find these folks as we stand and sing.